HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. This year, Wisconsin Cheese is hosting the very first Art of Cheese Festival to celebrate all things curds. Head to www.artofcheesefestival.com for your tickets to pastured paradise. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Souther, you're back, buddy. Yeah, sorry, I uh, couldn't be around last week. Um, it's kind of, it's going to tie in a little bit, I think, to some of the conversation we're going to have today. I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, doing an Amoria Margo misguided spirits pop up at a bar called Pufferfish. Seems seems mm. reasonable for Amoria Margo to be at a tiki bar. Um, <laughs> and we uh, raised uh, almost twenty five hundred dollars in the evening for another round, another rally, going out to nice. the folks in my uh, in Maui who uh, you know are still suffering from the damage from the fires good for you man it's great yeah uh but it meant that i was literally on a plane when you guys were on the air last week so i couldn't be on the show which was a bummer because it was the show about our box which is it's now landing in people's uh homes so we're getting a lot of social media buzz about it i think uh i just this morning saw someone raving about uh, the pandana and someone else raving about the bathtub gin old-fashioned so i think we're we're off and running i had no idea how many tiny ceramic and glass bathtubs there were out there in the world until I made this drink and people attacking me on an Instagram and I, and I love it and, and keep doing it. Uh, the more drinks I see out there garnished with tiny little rubber duckies, the better. That's amazing. Yeah. And the more people we can introduce to both shaker and spoon and maybe Ford's gin, then hopefully maybe the, the box will get people that have never heard of us to point it our way. I think it's such a great collaboration and it's really awesome. And it was fun. It was just really fun to do. And it's cool to like, you know, see this, uh, this syrup that I just kind of, you know, whipped up in my kitchen at two o'clock in the morning, like a mad scientist actually, in like a really like professional little bottle, you know, with like a, an actual label printed by an actual person who's good at graphic design. Yeah. And then also just the grand scale of it all, you know, uh, um, their subscribership, of course, ebbs and flows with the time of year, but you know, they, they, whatever, whatever that little syrup you made to make a couple of cocktails, they scaled it up to make literally thousands, tens of thousands. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. So weird to think of like something I made up and just like a giant vat somewhere in a, in a, in a warehouse. Feels good though. Exactly. Yeah. feels like we made it. 
maybe we're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we'll get it together. Um, but otherwise, you know, I've got a couple other projects on the horizon. I'm going to uh, my third season of my online gush class begins uh, next week. Uh, so people can still sign up for that. Uh, there's a link in the speakeasy Instagram bio to that. That's going to be cool. And then a couple of random things that I'm doing, um, you know, for the holiday season, I always do something. So this year I'm gearing up to make a thousand bottles of my own, own hot sauce. Um, and then I've got, this is a crazy story that has nothing to do with anything. We had to close Cafe de l'Enfer so that we could move Amal Garden in there. But the problem is we had already ordered these beautiful tiki mugs to arrive to Cafe, uh, Cafe de l'Enfer. Um, so now I have a hundred <laughs> tiki mugs that say Cafe de l'Enfer on them that I have to put together some kind of program and sell those guys as well. So what, what I'm imagining a lot of skulls and demon wings. Like what are they, what do they even look like? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll post a photo of one, but uh, it's um, it's like a goat's foot. It's got skulls on it for sure. It's got a uh, craggy looking sort of demon flying around. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's made by Tiki Diablo. Um, they're hand numbered. Uh, they're pretty cool. Can't wait to, do something with them they that you know we closed the, the bar three months ago they just arrived last <laughs> week because <laughs> they were already in production you can't stop the machine you know like it's uh, and the machine being you know human hands that make these things they're, they're they're really cool and we were really excited to have them up at the bar uh but uh you know even when we decided we had to close we reached out to them and they were like too late guys it's it's almost done so <clears throat> anyway uh, you know these are the things that happen when you have to be nimble well i'll take one i feel like that's a nice yeah, wedding same. of my appreciation for tropical cocktails and our dark lord satan so yeah well there you okay. go i'll tell you what i'll tell you what I'll, I'll i'll say it right here on the air for people to hear and hold me accountable uh you'll get uh cups number one and two and to make it fair i'll box them up and mix them up and i, I don't know who gets which <laughs> all right nice Southern okay. doesn't have a favorite kid he loves them all equally that's yeah. right that's right <laughs> Uh, well, you mentioned uh, another round, another rally that you're out there yeah. for, which um, has actually uh, been on our show earlier this year. We had yep. um, <clears throat> uh, Chris was out here uh, talking about that in, in June for Pride Month and some of the great work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have uh, some interesting guests in the studio with us who also dovetail nicely into that uh, great organization. Uh, who are we talking to today, guys? Joining us all the way from Phoenix, we've got Kaylee Asher and Jason Asher uh, here to talk to us about, uh, well, among other things, we're going to get into a little bit of another round, another rally. Welcome to the studio, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. How are things out in Phoenix today? Cold? <laughs> it's freezing. <laughs> it stormed last night uh, pretty heavily. Our monsoon season is a little late this year, and so it's nice and cool, but humid this morning. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if you got hit by the uh, the hurricane at all. <laughs> Felt like one last night for about yeah. 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was nuts. You have to get one of those Cafe L'Enfer mugs and serve a hurricane for yourself in it. Uh yes. that's a terrible joke. But uh <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm just trying to sell these tiki mugs that showed up late for you, Souther. I appreciate it, buddy. All efforts are, are appreciated. You said tiki mugs and you mentioned uh Tiki Diablo, who's a good friend of ours. And mm -hmm. the fact that he did a goat's foot for you. Man, that's opening a huge box of opportunity, Danny. I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> coming after you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got one within reach here. I'll show it to you on the uh, on. I'll show you guys. Can't show the audience, obviously, but uh, it's pretty wow. cool. He's he's such a traditionalist, you know. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, damn. That's what I'm talking about. That's he's so good. That is Danny carved really our rad. entire boat. We have um, a brand called the Undertow, and Danny is the is the mastermind uh, behind all the carvings and the intricacies and the authenticity 
for those pieces of art that kind of are, you know, decorate our space. Yeah, they're incredible. Uh, and the work they do is, is pretty powerful. And the reason yep. that it took so long is not because they're uh, lackadaisical or slow. It's the fact that they are incredibly busy and highly coveted. So just getting in the queue with them was was an honor. Yep. Waiting, <laughs> and it 18 took, months in. It, yep. And it took so long that the bar <laughs> came and went. Um, uh, we, we do have high hopes at reopening the bar if we can find another location for it. Um, we have all the decor, obviously, um, still. But uh, it, was a, it was a decision that had to be made because... Uh, we had to move one of our other properties into the space because the space that it was in for eight and a half years uh, became untenable. So anyway, super stoked to Makes have sense. them. They just arrived. I, I have one, like I said, right here on my desk because I'm trying to figure out how to market this thing and get I, it. I would there. love to see your storage space. Ugh. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm maybe I wouldn't. It is. You how many do you have? A hundred. Only a hundred. Well, we made a deal to buy 300. Uh, and of course they made 300. But they gave us numbers one through 100, and uh, they kept 200 that they're going to sell or market or do something with themselves. And they gave us some, uh, you know. Well, Sothar, we do this little thing called Savvy, and it caters to uh, the it caters to education, and everybody gets something to take away, and we just bake it into the ticket price. So we should talk about getting you out to Phoenix. Oh, yeah, Do buddy. a class, and we'll move 100 mugs for you in less than probably 90 minutes. Nice. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, well, like we'll, that. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, well, this is great. We'll talk about Especially this off the air. Diablo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. I'd love to. I'm, yeah. You know, it's been forever since I've been to Arizona at all. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think right now if I've ever been to Phoenix. So uh, yeah, let's get it. Let's get it going. Usually, people Seriously. go to the giant hole in the ground up north. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. I have an I have an Irish friend who went to the Grand Canyon, and she was like, "Yeah, it's nice, but." You all are too proud of that thing. You'd think you just took a bunch of shovels and dug it yourselves. You were like, that was there when you found it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had little little impact. <laughs> uh, so we, I, I have to admit, I wanted to bring you all on the show because uh, you guys just won um, – the spirited award for best cocktail bar, which, you know, congratulations to both of you. And, uh, and, and you I know, would also say congratulations to, to Phoenix, right? I, th I think this might be the first, first time a Arizona. spirited award has been in Phoenix at all, right? Of any, Arizona. of any caliber. Period. So yeah. Yeah. So that's amazing. It's amazing. You're, Thank you're you. Finally getting some attention, I think, uh, in, in these, you know, smaller markets. Yeah. I agree. I, I definitely think this brings a lot of credibility back to kind of the voting piece and showing me if you look at it, what the West Coast really kind of took a lot of those those plates home this year. And I think that smaller markets are finally starting to get uh, travel. People are traveling to smaller markets. Mm -hmm. People are getting out. And so that's a that's that's truly a testament to marketing and working closely, closely with your CVB to get the right people into your into your market to see what you got going on. And people are getting out again. It's nice. It's finally nice to see travel back to where yeah. it was. For sure. 100%. I also think it has, when you look at who won this year, right, you've got Hala out of Portland. You had um, some awards out of San Diego, us out of Phoenix. Happy accidents in, in happy New Mexico. Accidents, right. And, yeah. and I Kate, mean, Kate, Kate's always on the road. She's a dear yep. friend of ours. Um, and Same. she's just really well networked. But, you know, a lot of those markets have event activations in them, right? Portland's got Portland Cocktail Week. San Diego has San Diego Bartenders Weekend. We have Arizona Cocktail Week. You've got VCB in New York, and then you've got Sobe in Miami. And so when you look at who actually won this year, I think the reality is, is that those types of events are what are forcing people into certain markets that they may not typically travel to. I think historically people would always migrate to New York City to see what people were doing. I mean, I've been into your bar many times. Um, you know. 
and yeah. uh, you know, to, to get some inspiration. Right. And so I think that those event activations are really pushing people into those markets, which is great. I hope so. And I hope that people like me, like Damon, like Greg are also out there doing our part to give voice to those places. And also I travel to those places. Like I said, I, last week I was in Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, this is not a, a, a typical cocktail destination city, right? Right. Yet we went to some great bars there. In fact, we went to a bar called Bryant's that boasts having opened uh, just after Prohibition, still operating in the same way. They've never had a menu. So they operate in the way that, you know, modern cocktail bars operate with the, the chit chat uh, to create a cocktail for you specifically. They claim to be the home of the pink squirrel. Um, you know, th- that's incredible. That's history right there. And it's what in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, what a claim. <laughs> uh, but, it was, so but it was great. You know, it was a great spot. It was really dimly lit. And, and you know, they, they're like, we don't do menus. We talk to you and consult and, and we bring cocktails out. So, I mean, they're, these things exist in these smaller markets, and I'm glad that they're getting some attention. I agree. We travel a lot as well, and I think we're always generally very impressed with what we see in other markets. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's only two uh, two or three bartenders I know from Arizona, and they all worked at Maison Premier. So it's like <laughs> it's right. kind of a funny thing. That, like, you know, and I'm from Oklahoma. too. Yeah, totally. So like about <laughs> me being from Oklahoma, it's like I really like to champion like Oklahoma City and Tulsa as these places that have these great cocktail bars because now they do. When I lived there and f- was first getting into bartending, I got to work at the only cocktail bar that was there. And it was like nothing like what we see today. So it's just really cool. Like to me, there was a, a big thing that happened in the the mid-19th century with just the explosion of cocktail books and and people writing about cocktails and magazines and newspapers and like all of a sudden there was access to the information right there was also more distribution of crazy ingredients like citrus Ooh, it was the new fancy thing right uh but like it's it's definitely like that with you know obviously it's been that way for a couple of decades now but it's starting to really i remember the first time i saw an issue of imbibe magazine and i bring this up every once in a while it was like 15 years ago, probably. And, you know, up until that point, like you were saying, it was always a cocktail from a bar in New York or L.A. or San Francisco or maybe Chicago. And this one issue came out and it was like St. Louis, Kansas City and like uh, Colorado Springs. And I was like, all right, here we fucking go. Like this is yeah. it's happening now, you know. <laughs> so it's cool. And I don't I don't True. think of any market as like a B or C market, I never really did because I, I come from a D market, you know, but it's like, <laughs> I, I think there's something kind of inherent with with being a cocktail lover and a lover of bars that you are, you do have that kind of transient mentality and that you, you are, but you like to explore, right? Mm-hmm. And I know I can say that all of us, we plan our vacations around where we're going to eat and drink uh, and like maybe distillers we're going to visit or wineries. So I think it's just really cool that people are starting to give credit to these non-New York and California markets, you know, like you were saying before. So and and also, you know, like I mentioned Kate Gerwin, like I, I've been going to New Mexico all my life since I was a little kid. And like one of my biggest things is I love the food there and I love the ingredients and there's a lot of that kind of sense of place when it comes to Arizona. It's very similar in that way. I have a mm-hmm. Suaro cactus tattooed on my arm right here, just for you guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
it, there's there's just a really cool thing going on there. And I, I love that you got this award and now there's a bigger spotlight on Arizona in that scene. It's so, so good for everyone. Cause thanks man. Cause I also get sick of traveling to the same places all the time anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into that a little bit. You, you got the award and it's because your place is such a, 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 I mean, obviously you've got great cocktails, but you're also really striving to create an immersive environment. Talk about that some and how, how that in, you know, entices and engages your guests. You want me to? All right. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we had a small bar called Counterintuitive a, a while back, and um, it was our my first bar, our first bar, and that bar changed concept every six months. Rather than just changing the menu, we would just change the entire space. We'd rip the back bar out, we put a new bar in, we would Ooh. do. We would do a full new menu. We would change all the walls. We would move the walls around. We would do what? all kinds of things, right? We were fucking crazy, crazy. But what it really did was it, it pushed us to look at this idea of immersion. It wasn't just a menu. Now the place felt like a Mexican restaurant, right? We don't think about going to a spot like a Mexican restaurant and feeling like we're immersed because it's a Mexican restaurant. But really, if I ate Mexican food in an Italian restaurant, it would be fucking weird. So when you go to a Mexican restaurant, you're immersed into their culture by the colors, by the decor, by the smells, by the music, right? And it really didn't change from a bar. When you look at a bar, you're like, okay, I'm in a bar. Where am I? I'm in a bar. Oh, it's an Irish pub. Okay, well, I'm immersed. I'm immersed in Irish culture. Well, am I? Because they're playing hip hop on the music. <laughs> yes, the wood, the walls are made of wood and so is the bar top, but they're slinging, you know, they're slinging shots of whatever over the bar. So it doesn't really feel immersive. So once we began to kind of go down that road and dip our toe in that water, we literally became addicted. And we decided to do an event and Undertow was born. And because Undertow was born, Undertow was truly an immersive idea, right? Tiki being incredibly immersive, really uh, the precursor to a lot of what we do today, including Century Grand. And we figured if we could do it for Tiki and we could do it with a boat, then we could do it for moderate, like regular cocktails. And we could do it with a, something different, in this case, a train. And so Century Grand was born, and eventually the space evolved. Uh, during the pandemic, we lost our lease for the undertow. Uh, negotiations didn't go well. And the only option we had was either to sign a new lease, find a new location, and start over, or move it into a pre-existing space that we had room for. We unfortunately had just invested funds and money in building out a humongous restaurant. But that sank cost seemed better for us than to sign a new 10-year lease, which could total two, $3 million, depending on, on how much that lease was valued at. And so we moved it in. And when that happened, the space really became alive. Uh, we, had this, we had to figure out a way to join a boat and a train into one space. And we did that through a rickhouse. And we did that uh, in such a way that I call it our docklands. It's this idea of of the transcontinental finally connecting the east and the west and instead of a ship taking weeks to travel around the country to get to the other side they're picking up in port and in days they're shipping it across the country and really that is that spot that is that spot where our worlds collide in the building and you enter this rick house and the building is full of haze so that all the corners are curved and all those all the illusion is is really there and a lot and we want you to, to kind of allow yourself to let go and once you get in and you begin to and you begin to navigate through our space. If you're there to catch a boat, you board a 19th century clipper ship modeled after the Flying Cloud. Or if you hang a left to go into the the train station side of Century Grand and board platform 
the train on platform 18, you're taken through the bayou on a train ride where the seats vibrate with every single nook and cranny on the track. Mm -hmm. uh, or if you're waiting for a train, you just pop out and you get off at platform 18 and you walk across right into the apothecary that is the gray hen. And those bars together really make up what is the Century Grand. And the Century Grand is this really special space that Evan flows like you would imagine a busy London uh, dockland kind of vibe where there's a lot of people hustling and bustling, coming and going from the bars, uh, but there to create an amazing experience. And of course, some of the drinks come with theatrics. Some of the drinks come with uh, a skit uh, to really kind of pull and pull people into the moment. So I think, Kaylee, did I cover it all? So, yeah, I mean, I think you explained it really well. When we had to merge these two concepts together during COVID, we really had to focus on just eliminating kind of the low margin items, right? We six and a half months closed, not too bad in consideration compared to other markets. And I was selling booze out the back door, launched an online store and had Jason doing virtual cocktail happy hours, teaching people how to make the drinks every single weekend. I felt like it was prohibition again, me just slinging whiskey at the back. But, you know, <clears throat> Greyhen was there and it was a whiskey shop. We have over 500 different whiskeys from all around the world in that space. And then obviously other high-end spirits in addition to that. And we, you know, put a fully functioning bar in that space in 2020. And then we also added the trees and kind of this patio area directly outside of the whiskey shop. So it really is this kind of fully immersive space. The train has a horn. It goes off. It blows smoke bellowing out into the space. There's these little like fake fireflies that spin around in the, in the sky. And so when you come in, you hear all of these these sounds, you see kind of all of these key elements. And then as Jason mentioned, inside the train, there are these kind of low frequency subwoofers that really lowly vibrate the seats, obviously not in the bar stools because you can't install them in the bar stools. But so when people do sit down, they feel, you know, so it's just sight, sound, smell, taste. You're fully immersed with all of your five senses into this completely different environment. And really, I think the, the uh, point of that was to get people to kind of just step out of their everyday life, right? The whole point of Tiki historically was to allow people to escape from their daily life. They, you know, it, it really launched and emerged through the Great Depression. And these people couldn't afford to probably travel or take vacations and travel international wasn't very prompt, you know, wasn't prominent back then. And so it was that same kind of pillar that we, we wanted to uh, put into the rest of those concepts was how can we get people to just let go and um, be with us and be in the present and be with the people that they're with for 90 minutes, right? That's our ask. Mm -hmm. You got 90 minutes, be fully immersed in this environment and just kind of not think about what else is going on outside of these walls. As a, as a guest, if I arrive there, is it standard for me to choose one and stick or do people maneuver through the space while they're there? You know, it really depends. We have three different reservation systems because they are their own entities. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of guests will book one. Um, Platform 18 is probably the busiest and the most popular with Undertow uh, being the second busiest, but Undertow also has more seating. So they generally run really great numbers. Um, so a lot of people will do one or they'll do one and then a second one. We don't always recommend doing all three because they're 90 minute seatings, which puts you at four and a half hours in the bar with no food. Um, <laughs> so amazing. It's a little dangerous. <laughs> even the ice cream, like even the ice cream has booze in it. So, you know, right. it's like, 
we uh, we always recommend people do too if they're going to do multiple concepts. But oftentimes people will like come, you know, they'll come for the train and then they'll want to go into tow or they'll want to go into gray hen or they'll come to undertow and then they'll want to go into gray hen. And it's interesting because a lot of the industry people actually love gray hen. And I think that's all collectively kind of our favorite space. And it has probably the least amount of immersiveness, but it's just really like cozy and, um, and tight and the hospital and the hospital is great in all of the rooms. Our, our uh, team does a really great job, but I think that space is exceptional just because there's a really limited number of seats. So your bartender really gets to engage with you. That's so cool. I mean, it, it sounds fantastic and it's making me want to book a flight to Phoenix I right know. away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if there's like three tales of the cocktail award-winning radio hosts that show up, can we do the four and a half hour experience? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll put you on the four and a half hour tour. You're a veteran. Cool. And I'll feed yeah, you, I'll feed good. you before or after. <laughs> we'll, we'll sign, we'll sign the waiver. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the notes that you sent over about the show today, uh, you know, the one that caught my eye the most uh, because it's something that I strive to do as well. I want to I hear you talk and, and tell us about what it's like to run a cocktail bar driven by data and facts more than it is by emotion. Because I feel like a lot of us get into this field because we love it and we're passionate. And frankly, I think all bartenders are alphas. And so we all want to be the top dog. Um, but but then you have to make decisions like the one that I made that I talked about at the top of the show. We had to kill our baby to make the, our, our oldest property survive, right? So these are just the uh, decisions that you have to make. Talk about the things that you've had to do or the things that you do currently that, that allude to that. Um, well, I think Jason could probably speak on the implementation of the back of house inventory management system. And then I can touch on marketing analytics and just how we collectively meet together as a team to review um, data. Jay, do you want to talk about inventory? Yeah. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> you know, we've always ran a fairly tight ship uh, when it comes to our numbers. Everything is pretty, is, is, is really driven around spreadsheets and factual data. Uh, when we moved Undertow into the building, it brought in an additional 50 drinks. So the cocktail, the building now had, was starting to flex at 125 to 130 drinks uh, in one building. And all of it was custom. Every single, every single drink had two custom ingredients in it, maybe more, depending on the program, depending on the extensiveness of the program. And so it was really, really challenging. And I had a hard time managing the growth of our team members, the growth of each room because the streams began to cross a little bit. And even though as a whole, our numbers look tight, it, they could be better. And there was no way to really manage the individuals within the rooms or the rooms themselves uh, while only having like one set of data to look at. And so we broke everything into parts. We broke every store into its own store so that we could look at it you know, in a really clear and I would say factual-based way so that we could then coach our teams. In addition to that, to keep things clear, then we laid in software to manage the inventory on the back of the house and converted our back of the house into a commissary, uh, which was humongous. It kept everything really clean. And then now we run our entire company like a hotel. So everything comes into a commissary, they turn, it turns into something new, and then the bar's requisition. Got it place an order from the commissary and then the commissary sends things out. Yeah, so for stores that, it, that operate independently, um, it's like a 30 to 40% subs subsidized by the commissary, 30 to 40% for stores that are in the building where the commissary is, they're subsidized 95% uh, by the commissary. Right. Yeah. 
So they run really low inventories. Like one under, an undertow in Gilbert holds a 50 something, $60,000 inventory. And we can manage to that and we can coach to that. And then the undertow in uh, Arcadia, our flagship, our old OG store holds like a $19,000 inventory because they don't need to hold anymore because the commissary right. is right there. Yeah. So for yeah. our listeners, because I, 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 I've done this before with a group that I used to run and it was, it made such a huge difference on the P and L's and cogs at the end of the day. Right. So really what we're talking about here, a major impact when it comes to say like buying a bottle or two of whiskey here and buying cases and getting case breaks for like larger orders of, of wine or vodka or whatever it is. It's like, you're actually like coming out even further ahead and it's more accountable. And like what Souther was saying, it's like, with Kevin Lanfair, it's like they had to replace that with, with one of their oldest properties, but Lanfair can come back and, yeah. you know, definitely not as it doesn't have the longevity uh, or the history that, that uh, it was avant-garde, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but just from that data, just looking at it, you can kind of make bigger decisions on how to really kind of streamline and improve each one of the stores, as you put it, Jason. So that's just wanted to kind of kind of like break it down that way for the listener, because it is really cool once you get into it. It's like understanding how you can actually be profitable with each one of these entities in, under the umbrella. Right. And that's why you do it. Yeah. I mean, I you know, and. And the other thing is it, it helps to provide, I think, easily digestible data, data that is easy for a bartender that's learning, up and coming, climbing the ladder, trying to be a bar manager or a bar manager trying to be a GM or whatever. It gives them another way to, to, to look at data. And I think bartenders look at things in a very specific way. Business owners look at things in a very specific way, right? Bar, bar managers want to know what their poor cost is. And owners look at very different numbers, including poor costs. But again, this provides better data, digestible data. And they can tell me, I could say, hey, tell me what you used in lemon yesterday. And they could say, oh, I used, hold on. I used, uh, you know, 87 ounces of lemon juice. In fact, every Tuesday, I only use between 80 and 90 ounces every Tuesday. Oh, great. That's really good to know. And I can tell you to the minute, you know what I mean? So right. because yeah. the data is much easier to find and digest, it gives our bar managers the empowerment to make better decisions, to make more you like price conscious, inventory conscious decisions. And I think that's huge. And that gives them the factual based decision making. And they can say, hey, listen, you know, we sandbag 10%, but it just so happens that this one drink that uses grapefruit went nuts today. And we, we needed four more quarts of grapefruit. You can't, can't judge, you can't make that call. Uh, but they can get close, right? And now waste, all of our waste now goes back into a repurposement too. So anytime things come back, they get turned into something new. And so we don't really throw anything away anymore, which is also really awesome. And the commissary is part of that. Yeah. yeah. But even on a, like, just on a payroll kind of perspective for your staff, like for whoever's on prep, whoever's juicing those uh, quarts of lemon juice and grapefruit juice. And you know that we need 90 ounces and not this, not this guesswork of like, we're just go ahead and do four quarts today or whatever it is. It's right. like, okay, I've, I've banged out the 90 ounces now onto the next thing. So you get more yep. productivity out of the staff. And it's like, that's a, that's a big part of it too, right? Yep. 100%. Yeah, greater efficiency there.
Well, listen, what, uh, to, uh, what does the staff say when you like put these tools in their hands? Like, I'm just curious because I know bartenders can be very sort of like, you know, pie in the sky, creative dreamer types. Uh, <laughs> definitely not speaking about myself here or anything like that. So I can imagine <laughs> there might be a little bit of like, you know, I don't need data. I'm an artist. But like when when you give these things to your staff, what what's sort of the reaction? Like, how do they how do they feel once they have all of this data at their disposal? I would say they feel empowered 100%. I mean, I, it, it's really great when somebody feels like they own their business. Totally. And that's kind of the way we talk about it. Are they owning their business? Do you know your business? Like, talk to me about it, you know? Hey, why did you dump two quarts of lime juice last week? What happened? Oh, you know, uh, I overestimated. I didn't pull my numbers from the previous four weeks to adjust my average. And that's what happened. I'll make sure that I do that next week. Okay, great. And then it goes back to the kitchen and then they strip it down, turn it to clear, and then we repurpose it in another clarified application. I would say that the uh, two of the three women that are bar managers for us have been with us for four years. One just hit her four year anniversary and the other one is on her four year, almost her four year anniversary. And I would say that when they came in and began working with us, maybe that was a little bit more of their personality. But um, as they have, you know, grown and developed, while being um, employed with us, they really are very receptive. I think that a lot of people come in um, working for, you know, or wanting to work with our business, knowing that they're going to come out better on the other side. And so there's a lot of uh, people, I would say that Jason is a huge mentor in this community. I mean, he was, he's one of my biggest mentors. We've been together for 10 years. And when I met him, I was a bartender. Um, But you know, we have uh, two individuals that own four restaurants, or I'm sorry, four bars here in town that used to work for us for four years, and then uh, two other individuals that are owner operators for another cocktail bar in town. And so, um, and then one of our other individuals that was just with us for five years just left because he wants to go and do his own thing. So, you know, I think there is a history of people that work with us and, you know, training these people to understand data and being able to operate a business. Oops based on, um, based on facts and based on number is only going to be better because I think that's the reason why we have such a high failure rate in the restaurant and bar industry is because they are not prepared. They, a lot of them don't have a formal business education. They're not prepared, um, to understand or digest data. They don't necessarily know how to, to run a P and L. And then in addition to that, they don't have a general understanding of marketing. And so, you know, it's kind of this like perfect storm of not having enough information or having somebody who's a mentor to actually give you the right information so that you learn how to actually manage your business. Yeah. So you guys are creating this beautiful sort of family tree out there based on the the knowledge and opportunities that you give all your teams. I want to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, but I want to come back and talk to you about your self-published book. Um, mise en place marketing, right? Which is kind of what you're about to lead into a little bit of the marketing talk, which I think is highly valuable and extremely important for people in our business. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to come right back and keep chatting with our friends from Phoenix. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin certainly knows their cheese. The only state that requires a license to cheese, they take the craft very seriously. That's why this year, Wisconsin Cheese is hosting the very first Art of Cheese Festival to celebrate all things curds. From September 29th to October 1st, you too can join the Jubilee. Over the course of the festival, you can learn how to pair cheese like a pro. Art of Cheese is thrilled to offer classes on pairing cheese with wine from the industry's leading sommeliers, cocktails from spirits experts, chocolate, and coffee. 
Yes, coffee with cheese from a former cheesemonger. At Art of Cheese, you can level up your artisanal cheesemaking knowledge with a curds-on deep dive amongst the cream of the crop and celebrate all things cheese by dancing the night away as the bell of the Wisconsin cheese ball. You won't want to miss out on finding your next favorite cheese at the party of the year. Head over to www.artofcheesefestival.com for your tickets to Pastured Paradise. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy here on HRN. And today we're talking to our friends Jason and Kaylee Asher of a bunch of different concepts out in Phoenix, a bunch of different Spirited Award winning concepts out there. Uh, before the break, we touched a little bit on marketing and uh, you know running the business side of a bar, which is not uh, a skill set that I think you find a lot in people who are attracted to this. You know, this this line of work attracts a lot of you know kind of Jack Kerouac free spirit types. Uh, but Kaylee, you have a book out about marketing that you published yourself. So tell me a little bit about that and kind of what some of your your goals were for that book. Whose whose hands did you want this book to wind up in? <laughs> Sure. Here it is. Um, I print it. I actually self-publish it through Amazon KDP. So a lot of people don't know that Amazon has its own platform that does on-demand printing. And so instead of going through all of the hoops of trying to find a publisher, it's a very small and easy to digest book. Um, but, you know, I think that from us being uh, cocktail bar owners for nearly nine years, we've learned a lot. We've made a lot of mistakes. Um, and there's a lot of people who who don't succeed, right? They end up closing their doors within five years. And for me, you know, why if we have already learned all this information, why wouldn't we provide it to other people so that they don't necessarily make the same mistakes? So um, I put this book together. I started it in November last year, and then I just uh, launched it at the end of July. That's so awesome. I didn't realize that they had that uh, that option to where you could self-publish a book. That's really cool. That means you can say fuck as many times as you want without yeah. a publisher <laughs> or editor yeah. getting in the way. That's perfect. Yeah. And I own and I own it, right? I own the copyright. Um, I got the trademark on Mise en Place Marketing. And so it's 100% mine. It's, uh, it's all awesome. on-demand print. So when somebody actually orders it, they just print it and ship it directly to them. And um, you know, I get a percentage of royalties on each book that sells. So really it was intended to be kind of a passive stream of income. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. You know, and I mean, Sother, you've got books, right? I'm sure you've mm -hmm. had to go through all of the the fun hoops and, and processes of, of that. And it's a lot, but you know, for me, it's about, it's really, it's really straightforward. It's like, Hey, you know, you can either do the marketing yourself or you can outsource it. Here are the pros and cons of each. Let's go through every single marketing tactic or strategy, and then you should identify as an owner-operator which ones you want to be able to do yourself and which ones you need to outsource. And I think the reality, though, is that a lot of the times marketing gets thrown to the wayside because people who have small businesses, um, you know, operations take precedence, right? If you've got yeah. a broken toilet or your staff called out sick or, you know, the you, your cups didn't show up or whatever it is, right? Your liquor order didn't arrive. Like those things are priorities because those are the things that you need to happen to be open. And so, you know, writing a social media post isn't necessarily required for you to be able to open your doors. But in, in the reality though, marketing is the lead generator for your business. And so I think a lot of the times people open, they're very busy for the first two months and then business settles 
And then they don't know how to be proactive enough to create marketing programs um, around continuing to grow and develop your business, find guest retention, um, explore ways to find new guests, and then even fish where the fish are. I feel like a lot of the times mm -hmm. uh, people that own bars and restaurants or our operators are kind of just throwing spaghetti at the wall. They're like, oh yeah, okay. Somebody approaches them and says, hey, we're selling this ad, you know, this print ad for this X amount of price. And they're like, oh, we'll try it this time. Right. And they don't, there's no actual way to manage the ROI on that. And you're not actually able to track the campaign. So I think with the new emergence of digital, you have so many more opportunities to track some tangible ROI on your business and see where people, you know, you're actually generating leads to your business. Um, and so that's really what I've been focusing on wholly for the last few years of our business. Once we kind of reopened for COVID, you know, we've got Google Analytics on our website and we... Mm -hmm have Google search console. So we're checking how our SEO is performing. We've got content marketing on the website and writing blogs. I have social media marketing. I finally hired a PR agency that's helping me with active pitches. Right. Um, and it's funny because like a lot of people hate Yelp, like a lot of people like to hate on Yelp, but the reality is, is like, you know, we're getting four to 5,000 people a month to our website just from Yelp. And there's a lot of intentionality there. If people are going to Yelp, they're like, I want to eat something today. Right. So why wouldn't you advertise on Yelp if it's going to grow your visibility opportunity to that that guest base by 100 percent? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love what we said. You know, uh, go where the fish, you know, fish where the fish are. I think yeah. uh, you're right. Fish where the fish are in the Arizona desert. <laughs> <laughs> that's great cast a line right off of that boat um and and i can i get the great sense that you um you know being motivated to put this book out on your own uh means you're 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 highly um you know uh, engaged with the notion of education and educating people around you and it sounds like that's what you do at your shops as well so really i'm definitely going to get this book because i think it's something that i need um you know we're still kind of uh you know not fishing where the fish are, even though we've been around for a long time. You know, my group has has only really formed during the pandemic, but we've had all these restaurants and bars all this time. Uh, we ran we ran them totally separately. And talk about looking at data and having it not make any sense. Uh, you know, now we're trying to do some commissary stuff and, and things like that. So this is right up my alley. Um, and speaking of education, you're also the, you you hold the seat of the educational chair for the USBG out in Phoenix, right? Yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit about what 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 engagements you get into with that. Well, you know, I would say that the USBG changed my life. Um, I'm from Vegas originally. I worked in nightclubs. I was a bottle service girl for eight years. And um, I met Jason through a mutual friend. His name is Gaston Martinez. He was a brand ambassador for Milagro for a really long time. Very close friend. Um, but I, I was in a training to bartend at a new bar downtown in Vegas. And I was with Mr. Andrew Pollard. I'm not sure if you are familiar with Andrew. He worked at Cosmopolitan as a mixologist for a long time, and now he's at the Venetian. And um, I was with, I was in a training with Mr. Andrew Pollard, and I asked him how I could get a Fernet coin, and he told me I needed to join the USBG. <laughs> and this is <laughs> like 11 years ago. So um, I joined, and I got exposed to people like Bobby Gleason and Tony Abuganam and Marina Mercer and Kristen Schaefer, now Vesley. And so all of these wonderful, amazing people that were really, really involved, obviously Nectali from Herbs and Rye, mm -hmm. um, with the USBG in the Vegas market. And it was a very tight group of people. And Jason came to town, and we met, and we have pretty much been together ever since. Um, so I can, I can hands down tell you that my life wouldn't 
be the same if I hadn't joined the USBG. And so I was an active member for a really long time, obviously let my membership lapse during COVID. But with 2020, I feel like a lot of the veterans in the industry kind of left. And so everybody, every market was left with a lot of green people. And I think that there was a really big need for education. And so I came back and I approached uh, the local USBG and I said, I want to be involved and I want to be involved, you know, to help curate education. We also have a lot of opportunities with Jason and I traveling. We have really great relationships. Jillian Bose is one of Jason's best friends. Tyson Mm -hmm. Hewler is also one of Jason's best friends. Um, And so, you know, with the connections that we have, how can we leverage those relationships and get the right education into the market? And especially with uh, making North America's 50 best bars this year and winning best U.S. cocktail bar with tails, um, we're leveraging that to do a lot of pop-up activations in the building. One, to uh, curate community in the in this market. And so getting the rest of the industry to come in and support, uh, obviously promote in-house marketing programming to drive sales and revenue. And then also uh, we're requiring all those people to do a masterclass. And I think that's what we're seeing a big shift in as a whole internationally. If you're doing any type of pop-up activations in uh London or Mexico, or even like we're going to Singapore soon. A lot of people want you to do some sort of class component. Yep. Um, and we've been doing that for a really long time as, with our savvy programming, but um, we're requiring all those people to teach a class. And so we've got, we just had Kevin Dietrich from PCH, who is an amazing person and has an amazing team come and pop up. Um, and he taught a class about generous hospitality, uh, which I think a lot of younger people don't really have a grasp on, like, the hospitality maybe our generation wants to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Allegory coming. I have Rio from Mexico City coming. I have Death & Co. coming. And so it's I'm a really Leonardo. great opportunity. Yes. <laughs> I will always have you. Yes, I, I yes. saw you. I saw you at Tails at uh, Canaan Table, but you were like surrounded by people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, oh, we would well. love to have you. And so, you know, but it is it is a great way for us to leverage and find ways to create some synergy, right? We're going to do this programming in our bars anyways. We might as well have them do some sort of education for the community while they're here. Um, I I really do. I don't know if Jason feels this way, but I really do feel like we're given this platform and it's a tool and it's a resource. And we're doing the community a disservice if we're not providing education for the entire community. Right. You have to you have to put yourself in a position where how can I benefit the community as a whole? How can we rise, you know, all ships when the tide rises? I love it. I mean, that's kind of a battle cry for me. Uh, you know, high tide raises all boats. And I think that, uh, you know, people who gatekeep information are are doing themselves a disservice as well. 100%. You know, if you've got the information, the best thing you can do is share it so that so that we can all kind of work from the same, uh, you know, playing field. Uh, yep. So that, that's incredible. Um, and so then, that's uh, why I started this show 13 years ago. Exactly. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It's get, like, get the get the information to the people get right? it out there. Yeah. Yeah, and and also get people you know on as the show has continued. We we get more and more great people on to get more and more. I mean, just this is snake that eats itself eventually. Um, and then I, I would be remiss. We we kicked off the top of the show talking a little bit about another round, another rally. So let's let's get back into them a bit. A great organization that that does so much good stuff for our industry. Um, and your uh, your skylight uh, again. I, I don't have any of my notes here. I, I lost it somewhere. But talk talk about the skylight thing that you're doing. Yeah. So back in 2020, as we were reopening um, from our closure, I really wanted to, I I had talked about doing it before uh, COVID happened. I wanted to really do this kind of like 
female chef paired dinner with female mixologists because there was a lot of really amazing female chefs here in Arizona. Um, and then obviously we closed. I wanted to do it around National Women's Equality Day, but it's in the middle of August and nobody wants to sit um, outside in a restaurant in the middle of August in Arizona. So I was trying to <laughs> figure out how I would make that it's work. like trying to get people to come to New Orleans in July. Yeah. We're going to work. <laughs> I don't mind it, but, um, you know, so we, I decided to shift, right, to do an entirely like bottled cocktail program. And so I, I handled it myself. I, I asked some of the top female mixologist brand ambassadors to be mentors to seven female bartenders here in town in Phoenix. And so I had, you know, people reach out. I just reached out and I was like, Hey, would you love to do this? Like maybe six week mentorship program. And so the people that were involved were Lynn house, um, Charlotte Boise, Jenna Murray, Karen Grill, Aaron Hayes, um, and Louie. So it was like a really, it was a, yeah, Anne Louis. And so it was a really, really great group of women. And, um, and then I just paired them with, uh, another female bartender in town. And so they came up with their cocktails with them and they kind of just, and it was very casual. It's like, Hey, help them talk about ideating drinks. Right. And so they all came up with their own final drinks. I had a, um, my photographer, who's a woman take all of their photos. And then also I had, uh, one of my best friends do their labels for them. So we did cocktail labels and it was all like all women were involved. And so then we launched that, we sold them through century grand and uh, we donated $4,600 to another round, another rally. Incredible. And so that was what kickstarted their professional development fund for women and femmes and non-binary people. Um, And so that exists, that fund was start catapulted with this program. And so the following year, um, Amanda and Travis, who Travis is a dear friend, of ours he's basically Travis Nass was my uh my my bunk made it can't run him up <laughs> <laughs> he is one of the quirkiest and funniest and sweetest human beings I've ever met so yep. he um you know I'd reached out to Trav and I asked him you know if we could do this and he was like of course and so they approached me you know about a year and a half later and said we want to take this program um is it okay if we kind of own it and I said absolutely just let me know how I can continue to be involved and so, you know, last year we were opening another undertow location. And so he really wasn't participating that much, but they were able, and, and Misty really was a big part of kind of organizing the structure. And so they're creating a little bit more format. So they know they have uh, very specific meetings where people are required to go to these uh, classes and it talks about leadership and it talks about building your resume. And it really just kind of empowers the, these women within a very short period of time, six weeks, because a lot of the feedback from the speed rack mentorship was, it was like three months long and, and a lot of people just kind of lost engagement. And so it's really just supposed to be quick, fast. And then there's a little final event that they host where they serve those cocktails and they sell tickets and all of those funds go to another round, another rally for that professional development. I love it. Fund. Yeah. Very cool. It's fun. I mean, that's the thing. It sounds to me like you find that, that fun, that joy in, you know, mentoring, delivering education and helping the people around you. And I think that that's what creates longevity in our field. You know, uh, those who, those who create spaces that are somewhat insular and, and don't reach out to other people are the, are the ones we see that don't get a lot of attention and, and they end up fading away. So really mm-hmm. fascinating talking to, to both of you today about the way you operate your businesses and the way you operate, just the way, the way you treat your life. It's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, he's, he's my partner in crime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our, We've got we've got several families, including our personals. You know, whether it's our bar family or a guest family or our personal families. You know, we just 
we try to look after everybody and and you know the way they want to be looked after and it's uh it's an absolute pleasure to work hard all all week to find that 10 to 20 percent time to do the this kind of thing like mentor and mm -hmm. and give education and it's uh it's it's i think it's what really kind of makes the work week go by so quickly and make it worthwhile is that extra you know those those five to ten hours a week that i get to do mentor stuff so i couldn't agree more and echo what kaylee's saying that's awesome, awesome. yeah I I love, I love to hear it. I love to hear people out there like spreading the knowledge and sharing the wealth. Cause yeah, that's how you, that's how, that's how you wind up being totally mobbed when you go to Canaan table in new Orleans, you know, you put yourself out there, you share, you share <laughs> so what you true. have and it, and it comes back to you. Um, if people want to get in touch with, I, I almost like, this is one of these shows where I'm like, I could keep you guys for another hour because Same. there's so uh, many different projects yeah. you're working on. But if our listeners at home wanted to follow up on the things we've talked about and see what else we didn't get a chance to touch on, where is a good place to find you two? Jay, where's really? a good place to find you? You don't need to, you go on. So he, he wasn't on social media for like three years. He hasn't posted <laughs> anything since 2019, but I'm I'm so jealous of that. It's like Phil Ward, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Richie Bocato, and, and Jason Asher. They yeah. just refuse to get on social media. <laughs> so Jason, Jason's uh, it's gonna happen. I'll get back on. Jason's so. Instagram handle is Asher five two, on, and yep. then mine is Kaylee K A I L E E dot Asher. I just changed my handle, um, mm -hmm. and then we have our business website is Barter Shake. Dot com so b a r t e r s h a k e dot com um, and then you can also follow Barter Shake on Instagram so that's Barter N like N is a Nancy Shake and then we've obviously got Century Grand Drink Undertow and then we're opening another bar this week called Sunny's Lounge Breaking News yeah Sunny's Lounge but yeah. everyone's calling it Say Less because the tagline is Drink More Say Less <laughs> I love it. so. Um, <laughs> So that is, is Say Less. And that is that is a neighborhood bar, no immersion, just really kind of casual. It's really meant to be an industry hangout place. So I'm hoping that we will have opportunities to do a lot of industry education in there, do a lot more pop-ups with like really fun groups. Like for instance, I would just love, I would be over the moon to have like Mary McLean on from in, in there from Yacht Club because like we just went there and their drinks were freaking so good. They were so good. They were incredible. Yeah, it's a fun place. Wait a yeah. second. When were you at, at Yacht Club? Last week. Yeah, like like Last three days, four days ago, five oh, okay. days, I don't even know. Yeah. I was there like a week before you guys were. I oh, was no, like, how wild so would that be if we were there and just like didn't run into one another? But yeah, awesome spot. I love it. Were they, yeah. were they playing SpongeBob SquarePants when you were in there yes. too? Yes. It was like Japanimation. <laughs> the, first day, the first day I was in there, there was SpongeBob on. Good. Yeah. I went twice. It was good. I had to go back twice. I was, was like, talk good. about unpretentious and unassuming. Holy shit. Like, I know. Wow. Yeah. So good. Really uh, fun place. Yeah. Um, well, great. I'll get. I'll make sure I get all of those tags and uh, links and everything into the social media posts that we do uh, that Jason won't see, um, and uh, <laughs> we'll point people in your direction. And you know, maybe off the air, we should talk about getting Amori Margot to come down yes. and do some yeah. education and Grand uh, Army. Love that and Grand Army. And whatever uh, and it is that I do, love it. whatever it is that Craig does, <laughs> <laughs> the three of us could come down with some remote equipment, maybe, and do a show live from from the bar or from the boat or from the train. I don't know. We'll, we'll get something going. Um, but it's been, been a real pleasure having you guys on. Uh, I think that uh, yeah. that's going to wrap up this episode of the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, please go to uh, heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, there's a beating heart you can click on there to donate to keep shows just like this one on the air. We really appreciate you being here. 
Uh, and thanks again, Jason and Kaylee from thanks, down guys. in Phoenix. Really, really awesome. Thank thanks for having us. All right, everybody. Cheers. We thanks so much. seeing you again. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Have a good day. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>